You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, we've all had them. Those deer-in-the-headlight moments when something has or is about to hit us that we aren't quite prepared for. My husband had one of those a few years ago when one afternoon I met him at the bus stop to tell him that, in fact, we were having twins. His mouth dropped open, and I wish I had a timer. I think it stayed that way for about three minutes. Well, that was our second and third child. Since then, we've had a fourth. But back in the day, when we were anticipating our first child, we received a lot of good advice on parenting. Really good advice. But some of the best advice I received was handed to me by a dear friend and mentor on a, on a card, and it said this, Don't try and prepare the road for your child. Prepare your child for the road. You see, in anticipation of this life-altering moment that takes about nine months to realize, often parents find themselves frantically Um, going out and purchasing the latest gear and technology in order to prepare their home and perhaps themselves for this new adventure. You often see the same behavior in folks who are going overseas for the first time, right? They, They discover all the latest gear they need to get. They go out and get it, usually way too much of it, and they end up walking the streets of Europe with overstuffed suitcases and backpacks. I think we do these types of behaviors because we're just trying to ease anxiety. And sometimes, as parents, we just take this into the remainder of our children's lives. We try to make a perfect environment for our kids, a road without peril and rocks and adversity and steep inclines, rather than accepting that no matter what we do, those things are out there. They do exist. And the very best thing that we can do is to prepare our kids to respond to those things that they encounter by building up their internal resources, their sense of self, um, problem-solving skills, decision-making, these types of things. Well, my parents uh, worked hard at preparing me for life, guiding me to respond to the bumps along the road that I encountered. And there were others that did the same. And I hope that we all can point to and identify folks in our lives that did that for us, that served as guides. And today is Father's Day, where we celebrate dads and other men who have equipped us for the journey. And I want to give out a a shout-out to fathers, including my dad, who is here today, and all the other men who have worked hard at preparing us for the road. Happy Father's Day. Speaking of fathers, do you check in with your dad or your father figure in your life when you are at the crux of a difficult decision or when you're going through a hard time? Perhaps your dad is no longer alive. Who do you turn to? Well, we know that sociologists tell us that women turn to close friends, sometimes even their mothers, where they, when they are in those places. And men... 
Well, can you guess who they turn to? I'll give you a hint. It's the same person they turn to when they need directions. <laughs> now you know. Themselves. <laughs> of course, all of these have value. Moms, close friends, even ourselves. But um, the first two, parents and close friends, they can serve as mentors in our lives. As we journey through life, the way that we know uh, which way to go and, and what path perhaps to take is through the careful guidance of mentors, people whose advice we seek, people who serve as signposts for us, trusted friends and guides. They give us direction, they give us encouragement as we walk along the road of life, and they come alongside us often and gain, help us gain our bearings. Mentors play a very important role in our life. We need mentors. A number of years ago, um, Earl Palmer wrote a book uh, called The 24-Hour Christian, and he did this, um, it was part of a series of books that were sort of designed to be uh, mentors to the reader, in a way. And there was a point a number of years ago when I was going through one of these difficult times and having some major challenges, and I was looking for a friendly voice to guide me with some encouraging truth. And so I reread the 24-hour Christian, and it helped me gain my bearings. And in the book, Lest You Think We Don't Need Mentors, Earl makes, at the very beginning, a very good case for mentors that I want to share with you. He says... When we are isolated, then it is our own advice, our own thoughts, our own feelings that we hear too much and too loudly. The advice we give to ourselves is uneven at best. We have no way of really knowing how clearly we have understood what needs to be understood. We have no way to assess when we are too easy or too hard on ourselves. It often takes a mentor to help us to distinguish truly and to supply a necessary reality check. A mentor gives us a reality check for our internal thoughts, and a mentor also provides a reality check against the harmful input that we might receive from others. And this certainly happens to Christian, the main character in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress which has been a novel that has helped us over these past few weeks to explore aspects of our own spiritual journey. And so today, uh, our Pilgrim's Progress-inspired theme is the guides that we follow. And we're going to look at the guide that we find in Pilgrim's Progress as well as a relationship we find in the Bible, the relationship between Paul and Timothy and with these, we will get a glimpse of how God uses mentors in our lives. Before I turn to our text, I want uh, to give us a little history about Paul and Timothy. The book of Acts recounts Paul first taking note of Timothy on his second visit to Timothy's hometown, Lystra. Timothy is 19, and he's already a Christian. And he is well spoken of, not only in his hometown, but beyond that. And Paul takes notice of this and wants Timothy to join him as a missionary. And this Timothy does 
And he ends up traveling with Paul, working alongside him and sometimes apart for him for about 20 years. Paul sends him out on special missions. He and Paul co-author letters to some of the churches. And Paul writes two letters that are specifically addressed to young Timothy. The second one, 2 Timothy, is written from uh, a Roman prison when Paul is about to be executed. And it, by far, is the most tender of his letters. Because in that, we see that there's a personal nature. It reveals that Paul and Timothy have a very close relationship. And it's also instructive. Paul is about 25 to 30 years older than Timothy, and he writes in such a way as to pass on the church. And so as we read this passage, I want us to note the gentle way in which Paul speaks to his dear friend Timothy. So I invite you now to take out your pew Bible, find page 966, and stand as we read our passage together. And we'll go ahead and start with verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, day and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, it's clear from this uh, letter that Paul is an important friend and mentor to Timothy. And the relationship between Paul and Timothy illustrates to us three qualities of a mentor. First, we choose a mentor. We don't choose our family or teachers or boss. And they influence our lives, though, and sometimes they can turn out to be mentors, but we don't initially choose them. Well, Timothy chose to follow Paul. Be wary of those who self-proclaim mentorship in your life without even being invited. Mentors are not imposed. Um, Mentorship is not imposed. It's imparted. And it usually works best when you ask uh, someone you know or when you seek out your own mentors or perhaps consult a trusted friend who can recommend someone to you, but not the other way around. And second, a mentor we see is a servant. If you talk to Louise Martz, who began Women's Evening Bible Study, which is an intergenerational fellowship or in Bible study of women who meet here at UPC, she'll tell you that when she first used to ask people to facilitate a group, she often noticed that they would shy away from it. 
They didn't want to take, um, in, in, that, in their view, that type of leadership. But she would say, hey, can you come under someone and serve them? And bam, the lights would go off. And people would agree because they thought, yeah, I can do that. I can serve another person. And that's what mentors do. Mentors serve. So a mentor's chosen. A mentor serves. And finally, a third quality of a mentor is that a mentor is willing to receive. It's a two-way relationship. And we see this between Paul and Timothy. Both of them benefit from this relationship. Timothy is like a son to Paul. He calls him beloved. And remember, as we read that passage, did you see the tenderness and affection with which he addresses Timothy? They have shared a lot together, the work of ministry, and it's almost like a father-son apprenticeship. There's a mutual exchange of love, as Paul says, I long to see you so that I can be filled with joy. And there's a tenderness when Timothy cries when he and Paul have to part. Growing tenderness and love mark a mentoring relationship. So if we are ever in doubt that someone we count as a mentor is for us or has our best interests at heart, if we doubt that, then they probably aren't a mentor for us. And if in our role as mentoring, we are not demonstrating love and deep caring, then perhaps we aren't suited to mentor. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the central character, has many folks that point him and help him along the path. Uh, But the main character who continues to show up is Evangelist. And it's interesting, if you track their relationship through the book, um, you see that they grow in love and affection for one another in an old English 17th century sort of way. So let me share with you a passage where you not only see love, but you also see um, how Evangelist is a chosen mentor and how he serves. Um, This point in the story Christian is actually traveling with a good friend, Faithful. They just come out of a wilderness, and and they see Evangelist approaching them. And Faithful sees him first. Oh, said Faithful to his brother, who comes yonder? Then Christian looked and said, it is my good friend, Evangelist. Aye, and my good friend too, said Faithful, for it was he that set me the way to the gate. Now was Evangelist come up unto them, and thus saluted them. Peace be with you, dearly beloved, and peace be to your helpers. Christian. Welcome, welcome, my good Evangelist. The sight of thy countenance brings to my remembrance thy ancient kindness and unwearied laboring for my eternal good. And a thousand times welcome, said good faithful, thy company, O sweet evangelists, how desirable it is to us, poor pilgrims. Well, it's obvious they're very glad to see evangelists. And both uh, Christian and faithful, you see, they followed evangelists' advice. They recognize him as a friend, as a mentor. They see him as someone who cares for them and someone who serves. And you can see in evangelists that he, he loves these two as well that there's a mutual exchange. So a mentor is chosen, serves, and gives and receives love. So we've established why we need mentors, 
and their qualities, but what exactly do mentors do? How do they relate to our lives on a daily basis? Well, it's not so much about business advice, like we see in Donald Trump's tumultuous boardroom, or how to best navigate social situations, uh, much like Eliza Doolittle being taught aristocratic English by Dr. Henry Higgins. Nor is it like what we see in a fantasy movie such as Star Wars, uh, where Yoda, and you perhaps remember this scene, Yoda clings to Luke Skywalker's back and doles out advice and color commentary as they together navigate this sort of swampy wasteland. Yoda muttering things like, Hmm, stubborn this one is. These are flawed, shallow, and highly sensationalized examples of mentor relationship. And so let me give you some ways, four realistic ways that mentors actually interact with our lives. And the first one is probably the most obvious. Mentors are present to us. Mentors show up, and they know our story. Paul has visited Timothy's hometown twice, and he knows him. He knows his family his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And he even credits them with shaping Timothy's admirable faith. Paul recognizes the mentors and knows the mentors in Timothy's life who have led him to the place where he is today. And Paul travels with Timothy. He writes with him. He's worked with him. He knows Timothy's gifts, and he also knows where Timothy has failed along the way. And Paul, even when not with Timothy, keeps in touch. And this letter is a perfect example of that. Even when he's in prison, he stays present to Timothy through the letter. But although uh, mentors know our journey and they know our stories, they still let us have our own journeys. They work with us in what we know, but they let us have those aha moments. They don't claim them for themselves. They let us discover it. None of us um, appreciate when advice is imparted to us from someone that doesn't know anything about us and doesn't know our lives. And the advice of a mentor sits with us and works through our own thoughts and experiences. We see Paul kind of reviewing faith heritage with Timothy. And on this basis, he reminds Timothy of who he is and his unique gifts and what Paul has witnessed. But he leaves it up to Timothy to make the decisions with what he's going to do with those gifts and how he'll express them. Mentors help us discover our path, but they don't dictate it. So mentors lovingly serve us, and they help us know ourselves better. And thirdly, mentors ask good questions, and they listen well. This is a little harder to see in our text because it's a letter. It's not, a, it's not a dialogue. It's not a two-way conversation. But we can almost imagine the questions behind Paul's words to Timothy. Questions that if he were with him, he would ask him. Such as, who has been your help? How do you think God has gifted you, Timothy? What do you struggle with? Evangelist, too, asks a lot of questions in Pilgrim's Progress. And this is really how he negotiates his relationship with Christian. It's the primary leader. And one of my favorites is this. 
How hath it fared with you, my friend, since the time of our last parting? In other words, how are you? Or even maybe more modern, what's up? And we can also see that Paul not only, uh, there's, not que- there's questions behind the letter, but there's an implication of deep listening. This is clear because of prayer. Because prayer is a way of listening on behalf of others before God. Paul prays constantly for Timothy, day and night. And when we are remembering someone's story and someone's life before God, that is a way of listening deeply and upholding them. Well, listening well requires great observation and attentiveness. Let me tell you a good listening story I heard recently. It's a story of an eight-year-old girl named Jillian. Jillian was in trouble. It was the 1930s, and she was not doing well in school, academically or behaviorally. And so the dean of the school suggested that she go to a special school for kids with learning disabilities. And her mother, sort of as a last-ditch effort, dresses up Jillian and brings her to a psychologist for an assessment. And as the psychologist and uh, Jillian's mom talk, the psychologist keeps his eye on Jillian the whole time, who's trying her best to behave well. She's sitting on her hands so she doesn't fidget. And after about 20 minutes, the psychologist approaches Jillian and says, Jillian, I want to talk with your mom in private. I'm going to leave the room for a little while but we'll be back soon. And as he leaves, he flips on the radio. Outside the door, the psychologist has Jillian's mom turn in and watch Jillian. And almost immediately, Jillian is up on her feet and she's moving gracefully to the music. And on her face is this expression of glee. And the psychologist says to Jillian, your daughter's not sick. She's a dancer. Get her to a dance school. And that's precisely what her mother does. And Jillian goes on to be a prima ballerina with the Royal London Ballet. When that career kind of comes to a close, she forms her only highly highly successful theater company and starts producing uh, great shows that gain the attention of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And then the two of them collaborate to... Uh, give to us such amazing musical theater such as Phantom of the Opera and Cats. And all this happened because someone keenly observed Jillian and listened attentively and looked for the gift that was in her. So, and so instead of going to a special school, Jillian gave a gift to the whole world and sent us singing and dancing. Mentors ask good questions and listen well, and finally they offer encouragement. Paul is grateful to God for Timothy, which is a word of encouragement. Mentors appreciate us, and they cheer us on, and they encourage us in other ways. They encourage us through instruction and, uh, and guidance. They can encourage us through compassion and support, showing empathy. They can encourage us sometimes just by seeing their face. And they also can encourage us through correction. And a correction at the time does not often feel very encouraging, right? But it becomes encouraging the moment we realize that we have someone in our lives that cares so deeply about us 
that they'll speak the tough word because they want our success and they want what's best for us. Even Timothy is given, it's kind of hidden in here, a gentle corrective by Paul to use the gifts that he has. It could be that Timothy is shied away or not quite sure of the circumstances. Um, But Paul offers a word to say, don't forget those. Stir them up again and use them. At one point in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has gotten himself into some trouble. He's gotten off the path by some bad advice from an adversary. And Evangelist comes along to meet him. And his simple showing up um, kind of puts Christian's shame. He knows he's in a bad place. Uh, but Evangelist sort of begins his corrective um, by just asking him a question, which launches Christian again and guides him to the right road. And he says this, What doest thou here? Sometimes we need people like that that say, what are, you, what are you doing? This isn't you. This isn't what God has for you. Who is present in your journey? Who knows your life well enough to ask you questions and, and work with what you know about your life? Who listens well to you? And where does your encouragement come from? And perhaps more importantly, a question we need to ask ourselves is who am I encouraging? Who am I being present to and listening to? Because we do need to take the hand of a guide. And I hope for all of our lives we will have mentors. But at the same time, we need to pay it forward and take the hand of someone else and bring them along. We can walk our lives with hands extended in both ways, creating this amazing chain of relationship. And so we have folks like Lois and Eunice and Paul investing in Timothy, who then goes out and shares the gospel. Evangelist, who takes the hand of Christian, and by Christian's faith, he draws others towards the path. How do we do this? How do we make ourselves available in this way? Well, it's pretty simple. We just put ourselves in the path of others. Putting ourselves in places where we can interact with others, especially those who are new to the journey. It might be someone that's new to faith. It could be someone just starting out on the road of their career. It could be someone new to this country. It's a part of how Jesus designs his discipleship model. A person taking the hand of another person and showing them the way. You might consider getting involved with a ministry and meeting some other folks, where as serving together, as in Paul and Timothy's case, you develop sort of a natural, mutual mentoring relationship, an organic way of mentoring. There's tons of opportunities around here. That's the beauty of the church, and that's what I love about the church, is that it holds all generations. And there are scores of opportunities right here. Using your gifts, perhaps you have a lot of financial acumen and you can share that in the financial counseling ministry. Perhaps you just love to welcome others in that are new. And you can greet in some way in this church. Or receive children in classrooms. There are many ways to do this. And we don't need to be concerned whether we're adequate to be a mentor. It's just simply saying, can I love and listen? Can I observe? Or maybe even more inspirational, just think of the folks who mentored you 
What did they do? And then just go and do the same for somebody else. And what if you think you don't have the time? Well, sometimes we serve as a mentor without being aware of it. And I think those are often the best types of mentoring relationships, ones that aren't laden with pressure, ones that sort of pop up in what seems to be the ordinary course of life. As a student, I recall when Marilyn Rydberg, uh, the spouse of Denny Rydberg, who at the time was the director of university ministries, invited me over one afternoon when I was looking for someone to talk to. I was a student teacher. I was a little unsure where I was going, and I was just trying to sort out life. And Marilyn and her friend Margie sat with me, asked me questions, and listened all the while they were in the middle of what they were already doing before I got there. They were sewing pajamas for their kids for Christmas. And so it was a little messy, and there was a few things. You, know, you have to consult instructions while you're sewing, that's for sure. But it was really memorable for me that they took me into the ordinary flow of their day, and I got to witness firsthand these two wise and resourceful women as they engaged in their friendship with one another and their friendship towards me. And I got a snapshot of their lives. And if we look at that, we may think that's really ordinary. I wouldn't do that. But to someone that's in a different place in life, that can be an amazing gift. If we open our lives even just a little, even into the normal flow of our day, a mentoring opportunity can occur. We don't have to have official mentoring appointments with curriculum. It can just be in the flow of life. And so as we go about this day on the flow of our lives, we recall that we journey on this road not alone, but with others. And hopefully, with a hand towards a friend and helpful guide, and with a hand towards someone who is looking for a friend. And that we can equip one another for the journey ahead. Gracious God, I thank you that you, Lord, have called us into mentorship with you. That, Jesus, you are our Lord and teacher and friend and encourager. And that you sat before those who followed you and you washed their feet. And then you said, go out and do the same for others. And so, Lord, guide us and help us to follow you and to extend a hand to someone else. In your son's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.